1: Football Social Daily. Hello, welcome to another episode of Football Social Daily, your daily dose of the English Premier League in podcast form. Every single day of the Top Flight season, we'll have a brand new podcast for you, so hit subscribe and you'll be up to date with all the latest between now and the end of the campaign. On today's show, we'll discuss last night's blockbuster showing at Selhurst Park between Crystal Palace and Burnley. Not sure there were too many fights over the TV remote for that one, to be honest. But nonetheless, Burnley picked up a 1-0 win and dreams of European football once again starting to capture the imaginations of those at Turf Moor. As for Palace, the 1998 Intertoto Cup is their only taste of European football to date, but the door is still ajar to the Europa League, but can Roy Hodgson's side simply walk through it? We'll also take a look at tonight's game at the Amex Stadium, where Manchester United take on Brighton. As well as keeping you across all the latest transfer gossip, including speculation surrounding Jack Grealish and more possible incomings at Chelsea too. Thanks for downloading the show. I'm Niall McCorn, and with me on Football Social Daily today we have Steve McNaughton. Hello, Steve. Hello, Niall. You okay, mate? I'm good. Liverpool won the league on Thursday. It's your birthday today. Happy birthday. You're on the podcast on your birthday. You deserve special credit for that. Non-stop party for you over the last five days.
2: (laughs) Yeah, a non-stop party in my house, mate. Um, You know, with some 0% Heineken. Um, But yeah, just great. Still buzzing about it, obviously. And, you know, a bit bit of a uh, situation Friday night that let us down a little bit. But, um, you know, apart from that, still buzzing and still obviously reeling in what has been a a great season so far. And um, hopefully it's the first of many.
1: I hope you've picked your litter up, or at least put it in the bin in your own house, Steve. You've not been chucking it all around the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: that's it. You know, the wife runs a tight ship, so you know I can't drop my cans everywhere like I, you know. But and uh, just for our listeners, I was not at the period on Friday night. You know what I
1: mean? uh, we also have the Northern Football correspondent for the Independent, Mark Critchley. Hi, Mark. How's it going?
0: Not bad now. How are you?
1: Yeah, very well. How have you been enjoying Project Restart, Mark? Particularly from like a journalistic perspective, it must be pretty weird. You know in all of these empty stadiums observing the
0: action it's it's absolutely surreal to be honest it's just crazy like um i remember the first game i did was the was the arsenal city game at the etihad and uh we, we're like up close and personal with footballers all the time in this job and you know you, you see them on the pitch and you talk to them in the mix zone and stuff but kind of having david louise sat five yards away from you just kind of sitting around chilling out talking to his mates and then suddenly going on the pitch as a substitute and doing what you did in that game like giving away two goals and getting sent off it just kind of like breaks down that barrier that was previously there so just a bit of a a weird and uh, uh, otherworldly experience if you like but you know definitely glad that it's back and and glad to be back to a a level of normality at least
1: any Arsenal fans listening please do not slide into Mark's DMs on Twitter and give him some dog abuse. <laughs> it's not his fault that David Luiz was so bad, I promise you. Um, before we begin, can any of you guess what football achievement would have been achieved today? It's a special day for Newcastle United fans. Can you guess what it might have been? You might have seen it already.
2: Oh, um, takeover's been yeah, approved. No. Alan
1: Pardew's eight-year Newcastle United contract will have ended today, so... Oh, wow. all right there we go a That smart piece
2: of business that was <laughs>
1: <laughs> of, of course um, and of course Alan Pardew relevant to Crystal Palace as well which is where we're going to start Monday night football at Selhurst Park yesterday evening where the mouthwatering clash between Palace and Burnley took place I joke of course it wasn't really that mouth-watering and no disrespect intended to both of those clubs because it is a distinct possibility that either of those two sides could be playing European football next season it's not out of the question the score finished 1-0 to Burnley with Ben Mee scoring the Winner in the 63rd minute. It was a stooping header in off the post and on his 300th appearance for the club to boot. uh, Vincente Huaita, the Palace keeper, might have felt he could have done a little better. He did get a hand to it, but Palace really huffed and puffed in the end and Burnley stood tall at the back to secure all three points. Now, Ben Mee leading from the front again, Mark. Some Burnley fans I've spoken to feel that he actually deserves an England call-up and after his stance uh, on that Pretty horrific banner we saw last Monday at the Etihad Stadium. It's fair to say he's really stepped up to the plate, both on and off the pitch.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, everybody everybody loves Me nee at the minute, don't they? If he's not scoring the winner last night, he's doing what he did last week and taking a very honourable and I, I thought just very not not necessarily brave, but just you know articulate stance against uh, that kind of shameful banner that we saw. Um, and yeah, on the England call up, I suppose England aren't really blessed with. A lot of options at centre half at the minute. You know, you'd say that Maguire's place is, is established. Joe Gomez hasn't played a lot for England because of injury, but he's probably the other first choice. But then you look beyond that. I suppose you've got Stones. He's not playing at City. Tyrone Mings is part of the worst defence in, in the league at Villa. Um, and I've, like even for Kai Tomori, who's was getting some games back in the autumn internationals. He's been out of favour at Chelsea since the new year. So there's definitely openings there. My my question would be with me is does he really fit the profile of the centre-half that Southgate's after? Because I, I guess we've seen Southgate in the past, he's, he's dropped Chris Smalling from, from international contention because doubt's over his passing ability. And I think Mee's always been seen as that kind of more no-nonsense centre-half. You know, he plays alongside Tarkowski, he's been given a few games for England, and uh, he's he's more of a technical player, if you like. He's got that ability to play out from the back. I remember doing... Speaking to some of Tarkovsky's older coaches when uh, when he got the call up in 2018, and they were saying he definitely has the ability to do that. Whereas I think me's always been seen as a slightly more, like I say, no nonsense, maybe a bit more traditional, old-fashioned centre half. So whether he's going to come into Southgate thinking on that on those grounds, I'm not sure. But the opportunities the opportunities are certainly there because the openings are there, and there's not really enough centre halves at the minute taking on. Uh, taking that mantle for England. So, yeah, he's got a chance, maybe.
1: I think Mark's got a really good point there, Steve. I mean, Burnley fans obviously will have their sort of claret-tinted glasses on looking at this and saying that Ben Mee does deserve an England call-up. But he is a leader. It's fair to say that he absolutely is a leader. And, I think the point that was raised there about the fact that maybe he hasn't quite got the qualities in terms of playing out from the back fairly ring true, I think, with Gareth Southgate. But sometimes it's just good to have options, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think he offers something a bit different, doesn't he? But he's, uh, the, the, you know, it's quite right. The technical side of it is is a valid point. And I think, you know, when we do look at the list for England, um, I mean, we didn't mention, you know, John Stones then, I don't think, um, as well, you know, from City, who's having a bit of a torrid time at the minute. But he, he's got quite a way to go to get into the England setup. I think. And I actually think, you know, Tarkowski has probably got a bit more promise than he has, uh, if I'm honest. But, you know, he, he is a, he's a great captain. He suits Burnley down to the ground. He, he gets it and um, I don't think there'd be anything wrong with trying him in one of the Nations League games. I mean, I think they're all back in abundance, aren't they, in September time, which we were all thrilled about when we seen that. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I'd I'd certainly kind of give the lad a a whirl in in what is deemed to be a less competitive surrounding and see see how he gets on, because... um, like we said, you know, I mean, I like Tyrone Mings. Um, I've always said that on the podcast. I think he's he probably needs to move from Villa and get in somewhere where he's got better partners around him at uh, centre back. But um, you know, he is behind Gomez, Maguire, tamori uh, for sure at the minute. So uh, I think we'll have to see how he's how he progresses really. But I think he should get a chance off Southgate at some point.
1: As for Burnley, Ben Mee's winning goal last night moves Sean Dyche's side up to 8th in the Premier League, which is above Arsenal, above Everton and level on points with Spurs. Sean Dyche often sometimes gets labelled as this tub-thumping long ball merchant Um, and we do know Burnley's style of play, it's no secret. But even within his own club there appears to be a bit of friction with the board, he says he's committed and motivated... Are Burnley real European contenders? Not for the first time, of course, over the last couple of seasons.
0: I think you'd say so. I think there's just such of a such a mix of teams in that in that in that like middle section of the league table at the minute that there's definitely in contention for, for the for Europa League at least. Um and yeah, I, I you know, I, I think we kind of take what the job that Sean Dyche has done for granted a little bit. You know, this is gonna be now five consecutive Premier League seasons, and hardly any of those have come with a real threat of relegation ever um uh, he's working on one of the smallest wage budgets he doesn't spend a huge amount of money on big name signings each summer and you know uh, one thing that i think gets overlooked sometimes is we can we can joke about you know like you said there i like, I like the description took a bit long ball merchant stuff like that but <laughs> burnley, burnley have an identity you know they have something that you associate with them and it works for them and that's something that you can't say for a lot of clubs that are around that level in the in the premier league so yeah i mean he's having difficulties with the chairman at the minute it's well publicized they lost losing like jeff hendrick who was quite an important player for them on a free last week you know that's a huge oversight and you know the, there's obviously been words being said there between uh, the manager and the, and the board um but also that's kind of a consequence of the, the kind of situation that we're living in and the pandemic and those things are going to happen at clubs like Burnley up and down the country mm. so you know i think he's absolutely got a lot of respect for him and credit is given to him in turf more, even if at the minute they're having a bit, bit of a difficult time internally. But I think it's outside of that where he's slightly unappreciated still.
1: Mm, yeah, I think you're right. And I think what fascinates me is how teams can come up against Burnley and almost give in to their style of play. And it absolutely works, Mark. You're spot on. It does work. I mean, look at Sean Dyche's track record. He, When Burnley got relegated to the championship a few seasons ago, he got them straight back up again and he's managed to make them stick as a top flight side. And, I do always wonder and scratch my head when teams get quite comfortably undone by Burnley because... Everyone knows what they're going to do. But the thing is, I think they're just so well drilled and so good at it that sometimes it's difficult to stop. As for Crystal Palace, their fans are disappointed, no doubt, after the defeat last night. And as for them, the door also ajar for Europe for the first time. The highest finish in their history was third. Uh, That came just before the Premier League was created in 1991. They weren't allowed into European football because of the, the ban on English clubs due to the Heisel disaster. So... Does Roy Hodgson and Crystal Palace supporters, Steve, have a right to demand more from their club and more from their players? Now, like Burnley, they are Premier League regulars. I mean, should they be expecting more? It's a club that's never won a major trophy in its history. And the one time that they were supposed to go into European football, they weren't allowed due to an English club ban. So should they be demanding more from their club? Is that fair?
2: It's a tough one, really, because you know they are well established, like you said. You know, you're always in, apart from last Wednesday, <laughs> you know, at Anfield. I think you know we always end up with a game at against Palace. You know, it's always very difficult. We've had a couple of three twos and four threes. Hodgson's got them really, you know, set up uh, well. Difficult, but they've they've kind of lost the way that you know, after going four four on the spin, uh, they've lost the last two out of two, which you know will be concerning for Roy, but. You know, I'm just looking at the table now and, you know, from kind of seventh to eleventh is, is so tight and you know, it's these games that are coming thick and fast are, are, you know, they've got to be picking up the wins again really. But the, the shrewd in the transfer market, you know, A was a great sign in summer which we've discussed at length on the podcast. And I just think that Palace can Fans can be a bit more optimistic because, you know, I can see Sheffield United just continuing to drop points because they look horrendous since um, Project Restart. Um, You know, Burnley uh, are kind of obviously probably a main threat to them, like we've just discussed. Who knows what's going to happen with Arsenal? Um, You know, they could finish around 15th. But yeah, I think they've got to be, you know, realistic about it and no it's a, it's so such a difficult league and it's so difficult to get into those European places in the Premier League. And I think um they've just got to make themselves difficult to beat again, I think, and um, you know, stop conceding as many goals as as they do. It was a sloppy goal. Um not, you know, that they conceded against us. And um I just think yeah, it's a difficult one to predict really um what what they'll do but Mm. who knows I'm rooting for him I quite like Palace as a club Um, you know I quite like Roy Hodgson even though he had a bad run at our place and um, I think he's generally delivered for them but uh, yeah can we see the Eagles in in European football hopefully
1: yeah I think Roy Hodgson has got More gripe than most, Mark, because, you know, he's been banging the drum for at least two or three transfer windows now that he wants investment in that Crystal Palace side. And, you know, the way that they've almost exceeded expectations this year, I will hold my hands up and say that I had them down in the bottom six or seven teams in the Premier League this season. Absolutely pleasantly surprised. I think holding on to Wilfred Zaha was the best bit of business that Palace could have done, even if it was just for morale purposes. You know, he's not had a particularly great campaign this season by his standards. So, I mean, has he got more cause than most to kind of go to the board and say, listen, I need some investment because with this squad, I'm managing to get into the top 10 in the Premier League here with a little nudge and a little push and a bit of investment. We could be challenging for Europa League spots more regularly.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting point. I, I can actually just go one better on you there. You said you had them in the box, bottom six or seven. I had them second bottom. I had them getting relegated. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I think with Palace and and clubs at the same level, we just talked about Burnley there as well. There's always an interesting question about ambition. And I remember... I remember you remember a couple of seasons ago, 2017-18, they opened up with like seven straight defeats and they sacked Frank Deport. Mm. And I remember speaking to somebody, I was at a party and there was a guy there who worked for Palace and I was talking to him and he said, you know, everybody was just terrified of the, of the fact that they could get relegated. And, and in the real sense that if Palace got relegated, it would mean people losing their jobs. So, you know, when you're a club like Palace of that, of that kind of size, living in the Premier League and trying to exist in the Premier League, there's always very difficult conversations to be had about money, what you spend, the ambition that you're supposed to show. Um, and I think, look, it, it's interesting because Hodgson has definitely done, a, a, he's a safe pair of hands and he's done a, a very good job there over the last three or four years. Mm. Um, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of good will towards him. There's a lot of respect for him. And I think, you know, he can be trusted. So if, if you were gonna say, here's a bit of this TV only that we've, you know, that we've collected over the years for thanks to you keeping us all, Go and spend it in the transfer market and see if you can get us into Europe. Maybe that little bit of ambition. Maybe is he is the right pair of hands to um, to look after that. But at the same time, you're always wary because we're talking about how tight it is in the middle of the table. Mm. It doesn't take a lot of you know narrow one nil wins to go the wrong way, and suddenly you find yourself at the other end. And then there's a lot of difficult conversations that need to be had of, of, of the type we're talking about before, where people start to lose their jobs and going down into the championship, etc. Mm. So I think you know it's a difficult position for Palace, but. They, they, and they do need. To, they definitely do need to spend as well because the, the squad is so old. If you have a look at the squad, I think there's yeah. only a couple of players, Max Meyer and world who are like under 25, and they barely played any minutes this season. So there is a need to spend, and it's going to be an interesting summer to see whether they can do that regeneration and keep this. You know, you know. Keep this kind of, well, keep their Premier League status basically and keep up the good work that Hodgson's done over the last few years.
1: It does make you wonder why Crystal Palace aren't dipping into their academy a little bit more when they've produced products over the years like Zaha, like Aaron Wan Bissaka, who was sold to Manchester United in the summer for 50 million quid. So they obviously do have talent there in the academy, and I think they're on the verge of being classed a Category One academy, which uh, would be, you know, a, a big boost for the football club in terms of the talent that they produce. But it is a fine line, as you say, between getting it right in the transfer market and failing miserably. Look at Aston Villa and Fulham who kind of went all guns a blazing into the transfer market and it looks like that might have backfired for Villa this time around. It certainly did for Fulham last season and even West Ham who have said themselves that relegation to the championship this season would be catastrophic financially for them. So yeah, certainly Crystal Palace do need to uh, to skate carefully around their transfer dealings. But I do think Roy Hodgson has a point in terms of dipping into the market. Right then, time for a quick break here on Football Social Daily but don't go anywhere because after this we'll be looking ahead to Bright and Hove Albion against Manchester United tonight at the Amex Stadium as United look to secure themselves a Champions League spot this season. Fifth might be good enough, but of course, that all depends on City's European ban, whether it sticks or not. We'll have to wait and see on that front, but we'll talk about Brighton versus United after this.
0: Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
1: Welcome back to Football Social Daily from Sports Social. This is the only seven day a week Premier League podcast you can find. The only podcast that comes out every single day of the Premier League season that focuses on the top flight of English football. So hit the subscribe button and you won't miss another episode again. We're approaching 1.5 million downloads for the season, which is absolutely incredible. So thank you very much for your support. And don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify fire, whatever it might be that you listen to the show on, whatever platform it is, give us a review, let us know what you think, that will really mean quite a lot to us. Anyway, let's look ahead to tonight's Premier League action where Brighton and Hove Albion welcome Manchester United to the Amex Stadium. It's an 8.15pm kickoff down on the south coast. Um, The pressure's on Manchester United, Steve, not because, uh, you know, it's a massive football club with huge expectations, but more for me because the fact that Wolves have opened up a three-point gap between themselves in fifth and Manchester United in sixth. Of course, United were in FA. Cup action at the weekend where they knocked out Norwich a last gasp extra time winner from Harry Maguire doing the job there but Wolves really putting the squeeze on United and uh, it's fair to say both sides have looked good so United need the three points here yeah
2: for sure I think it it is very tight though like I said I think United with a win tonight will go above Wolves on goal difference won't they United do need to win this but I think the signs from United have been quite encouraging recently I think you know the fact they've got uh, Pogba and Fernandez together in midfield I think that's something for United to be quite excited about um, you know Marcus Rashford being fit again is is a huge boost to them because we all know you know well, certainly my thoughts on Marcus Rashford as a, even as a Liverpool fan I think he's absolutely sensational as a player and um, I expect United to go and get a, a victory tonight I think you know they'll have a bit too much for Brighton um I think it'd be quite tight I think Brighton will be plucky um you know because they've not done too bad in project restart by beating Arsenal and getting a draw with Leicester but I think United might have a bit too much for them tonight if they can keep it solid enough at the back. Uh, and there's a cliché for you, but um, <laughs> yeah, I think they'll, um, I think it'll, they'll get the three points tonight. And I think you know they'll they'll just go above uh, Wolves on goal difference. And um, you know it, it's a race, and obviously they have both got keen eyes on what's going to happen in the next kind of ten days or so mm. uh, out there in uh, in, in the, you know the court of arbitration for sport because you know that could be pivotal. But. Um, I think United can be encouraged. they in decent form. One four and drawn two in the last six. And I, I just think that you know, it, there's a, there's a bit of optimism about United. I'm speaking to a couple of United fans that I know, and they, you know, they're kind of making some noises that they're a couple of signings away from challenging for the title. I don't think that's quite the case yet. I think they probably need a few more winders, you know, before before they can do that. But um, you know, you wouldn't, you know, back against them to to get into that top four by a whisker mm. uh, before the end of this. Season, but there is plenty for him to be optimistic about, Um, and maybe Ollie, you know, might prove that he is the right man for the gig. Mm. Um, You know, certainly if they do get in that top four, and and if they did, you know, defy the odds and win the FA Cup. So who knows? I think you know, it's um, uh, it's all to play for for United. I think he can go and enjoy the football. Um, You know, the expectation uh, on them this season was low, and um, like I said, I I fancy him to kind of to nip in there myself.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, we all said, I think, at the start of the season, or at least up till Christmas, that Leicester was certainly looking solid for a top four spot. But since the turn of the year, their league forms have been pretty poor and Manchester United's on the contrary has picked up so certainly top four even is not out of the question as we mentioned before fifth could be enough for a Champions League place depending on the outcome of City's court case with UEFA the court of arbitration for sport which we're expecting the result next week or early the week after that Steve mentioned it just there Mark Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba the two marquee midfielders question marks over whether they could play together you know it reminds me of the old Gerard versus Lampard debate from back in the day I just don't understand why people are saying the same thing about these two players because they're two qualified players that seem to have worked well together so far for United in the in the small time that we've seen them on the same pitch but what about what Steve said that you know maybe United are a couple of signings away from challenging some of the things he's heard from supporters I've heard similar things are you buying into that narrative Mark or do you think it's just maybe slightly wishful thinking
0: I think the jury's still out I think you know I, I, having having to watch United regularly there's definitely been a pick an in form over the last well, I know six months. I say six months, but you know we had the three-month break. <laughs> but so there's definitely improvement there. But uh, and and I think getting Pogba and Fernandez together, like you say, I think that's that's a huge you know, there's a huge benefit for them. Um, I don't really understand the debate either about whether the two can play together. I think you know Fernandez is clearly a guy that just he reminds me a lot of Gerard actually. in the fact that he will you know get on the ball, make things happen, take shots from distance, try ambitious passes, he's very much like that. Whereas Pogba, yeah, he's like, you know, United's most talented and technical player, sure. But he, he doesn't mind doing a slightly more reserve role and, and building attacks more, you know, with shorter passes and stuff. So I think it's a combination that works well together. And we've seen that so far, definitely. But, you know, the question like you asked are there, are they only a few signings away from challenging? Well, I think that I just haven't seen enough yet from Solskjaer as a manager to really suggest that either he's gonna beat Klopp or Guardiola to a title or really if he's gonna seriously challenge them either. You know, we're talking about Chelsea perhaps entering the race next year and, and providing some competition. Are United going to do the same? I think we need to see a lot more from them. And I think this little stretch of games that they've got now is going to be is, is going to teach us a lot about just where they're at. Um, I was in Solskjaer's press conference yesterday and It was pointed out that they've got one of the easier run-ins, if you like. If you look at the teams that they're playing, I think basically all of them, apart from Leicester on the final day, which could be a huge game, but all the rest are in the bottom half. So, you know, on on the one hand, you'd look at that and say that's pretty favourable. On the other hand, you look at it, and apart from Brighton, who they played tonight, they lost against Bournemouth, they lost against Palace, they lost against West Ham, they drew with Villa at home and they drew with Southampton. Mm. So these are all the types of teams that they've struggled with earlier in the season, and they're all the types of teams that, you know, those are the results that mean where they are in the table, that's why they're sixth instead of challenging for really in the top four place or challenging for the title or whatever. So, you know, we're going to learn a lot from these games over the next five or six weeks in terms of just how far they've come and just how much of a difference
2: mm. having
0: Fernandes, I think, who breaks down those kind of defences makes. And having Pogba as well, because he missed a lot of those games being injured. Mm. So, yeah, we're going to learn a lot. And it might be the case that we come out with this in they the top four. Maybe they win the Europa League as well or the FA Cup. And suddenly they look like a coherent and, and not a very good attacking side. But it's still a little bit too early for me yet to really say whether they're, they're going to challenge next year.
1: I think it's a really good point, to be honest with you. I didn't think of that, you know, the teams that they're coming up against, the teams that they've been undone by um, in the first half of the season. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on with that. And that didn't cross my mind whatsoever. But talking about run-ins, Steve, Brighton and Hove Albion, they would have been nervous uh, with the restart coming, with arguably one of the toughest run-ins of those sides in danger down at the bottom of the Premier League table but they kicked off their restart with a huge three points against Arsenal Neil Mopé with a last minute winner and then a nil-nil with Leicester who as we said before have been struggling of late so that would have given them a boost to go into this game undefeated however we know what the Premier League is like a defeat against Manchester United tonight could cause a downward spiral and they could easily get sucked back into danger
2: absolutely yeah you know they've got a, a really difficult run in like like you say but i think sometimes when when you do have a run in like this where you've got to face liverpool man city uh you know i mean newcastle at home will be a tricky game as well um I just think sometimes, you know, teams can raise the game for when the big boys come can't. It's more difficult to break down and more difficult to beat. I don't think Brighton's problem is going to be, I think, you know, we've we've got uh, a week tomorrow, I think, uh, at the the Amex Stadium. I think it will rotate for it. I think Maybe Lovren will start. Um, So, I think Brighton, you know, will probably fancy, you know, the chances of getting a draw out of that. I think Man City might do the same if they... Um, you know, rotating their team a little bit. I think you know Brighton's challenges are going to come, you know, against Southampton away and uh, Newcastle at home. I-, I think that's where Brighton are probably going to be more susceptible to drop points, really. But um, I think they'll be all right, Brighton. I think Potter's done a great job. I mean, we commented earlier on the season that it was a bit bizarre that they'd give him such a long contract um, when he hadn't been at the club for that long. But I think you know, if he can secure that Premier League status. And, and you know it's vindicated, and I think you know Brighton are a club that are ambitious. They have got a good ground. They do spend money on players, and I think you know they'll they'll go again next season. But I don't think they'll get sucked in, mate. To be honest with you, mm. I think that um, Norwich are down. Um, I think obviously it's a, it's a shootout between you North know, Villa and, and, and um, uh, Bournemouth. I think West Ham are going to go as well, um, which sounds bizarre when we talk. You know when we talked about it at the start of the season, but you know Brighton, Brighton will will be okay. I think.
1: Relegate them all, that's what I say, Steve. Get rid of them all. Watford, West Ham, Bournemouth, Phil and Norwich have had enough. See you later. <laughs> Replace them with five from the Championship. Yeah,
2: it's not as easy as that, mate, but uh, <laughs> I, I take your, uh, you know what you mean. And I don't think, uh, you know, the likes of Watford, for example, I, don't, I wouldn't certainly shed any tears if they went out of the Premier League.
1: Chuck Southampton in there for good measure, and I'll be I'll be with you on that one, Steve, that's for sure. Uh, Brighton go into this game in 15th place, six points clear of the relegation zone. Manchester United, of course, three points behind Wolves in fifth. They go into the game, chasing the Champions League spot. Just some quick team news. Brighton will be without Adam Webster. He's got a hamstring injury. Uh, Tariq Lamptey, who uh, formerly played for Chelsea, of course, signed for the Seagulls in January. He's rated 50-50. He suffered quite a nasty cut to his face, which needed stitches in their last game. Uh, Stephen Alzate on the comeback trail. He's also rated 50-50, but the game comes too soon for Jose Esquiado, who's out with a knee problem. For Manchester United, centre-backs Phil Jones and Axel Twanzabi are both rated 50-50 to start themselves. David De Gea will return between the sticks. He was rested for the FA Cup, tight against Norwich and Angel Gomez won't play for Manchester United again it looks like after the youngster has refused a new contract and that's what we're going to talk about now because we're going to take a look at the latest transfer news in the Premier League and we'll start with Angel Gomez seeing as we're on the Manchester United tact is this a surprise to you, Mark, uh, being reported in the Independent today, um, your publication, that he could possibly be on his way to Chelsea? So, first of all, is it a surprise that he's not signed a new deal? And secondly, um, what's the kind of thoughts on the, on the move to Chelsea?
0: Um, well, first of all, I don't think it's a surprise that he's not signed a new deal. This has been in the works for some time. Um, there's been negotiations going on, basically, since the start of the season with, between United and, and Gomez's representatives in trying to force a deal over the line. Um, And, you know, United have signed up a lot of their young kind of academy graduates to contracts this season. You saw it with Tacitus Chong as well, whose deal was supposed to expire today. But he signed um, signed new terms a a few months ago. It's not been as easy with Gomez because I think Gomez wants and feels like he's ready for first team football, whether that be at United or somewhere else. Uh, And United, as disappointed as they are that he's leaving them, they weren't ultimately prepared. To offer him the, the kind of playing time that he wants, and and Solchak doesn't really feel that when he has had the chances uh, to to impress, that he, he has done that. He hasn't really taken them.
2: Mm.
0: So, you know, I, I think Gomez he's always been he's always been very heavily like hyped up as a player, and he's definitely got a lot of the, uh, technical ability. You know, it, there's definite potential there. He was the captain, if you remember, of the England Under 17s when they won the World Cup yeah. a few years ago with. Players like Sancho and Foden and Rian Brewster and others in that team. So you know this is obviously one of the best English young English players of his generation. Um, but there are reservations of, especially about his height. He's quite a small player. People worry whether he's got the physical stature for to play in the, uh, to you know really make an impact at senior level football.
1: He's only five foot three, so quite diminutive.
0: It's tiny, yeah, it's tiny. Um, so I think there's always been concerns on that. And ultimately United just weren't prepared to, to offer him that playing time. You know, where he goes next, it's a bit of an open question. You know, my colleague Miguel's reported as you as you point out, um, that Chelsea are interested. Chelsea have been linked with him for, for quite some time now. Um and they're prepared to make him an offer that, you know, I, I think even though they're gonna be filled with attacking talent next next season, I imagine that if they are willing to do that, he will be given games here and there. we, we know that Lampard likes to invest in youth and Definitely gives more opportunities to to younger players in his squad, but um, I don't. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure. You know, there's a few other clubs involved as well. I think Miguel was reporting that uh, Hamburg were one of the clubs involved as well. So it's very much open as to where he goes. Um, but he's definitely not going to be playing his football at United next season.
1: No, absolutely. And I think you know Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's nickname, the baby-faced assassin, as a player. A lot of people saying that he does have a ruthless streak as a manager too so you know we've seen it with the fact that the club also released Lagi Ramazani who was another under 23 player who was kind of regarded as one that could possibly break through into the first team uh, he wanted too much money and the club said no thanks see you later so I do think Manchester United um, have been quite ruthless in some respects in terms of uh, offering terms to their younger stars uh, so it will be interesting to see where Angel Gomez does end up now that he won't be signing a new Manchester United deal right then let's switch to the other side of Manchester Steve to the Etihad Stadium where Leroy Sane is likely to depart for Bayern Munich. It's almost certain that he's going to go. Daily Telegraph reporting today that Jack Grealish could be a possible replacement for Sane if he does go to Bayern. Um, Aston Villa are probably going to have their hearts set on losing um, Jack Grealish if they go down this season. So could you see him switching the claret and blue of Aston Villa to the light blue of Manchester City? Uh, I don't think
2: it's beyond the realms of possibility. I think... You know what, I think with Jack Grealish, I've seen that he was in a bit of trouble. Was it last week or the week before? Um, you know He's had another kind of run in, I think it was an accident, wasn't it? Um, he, had, he had in his car. Um, and I just wonder, with Jack Grealish, I just wonder if he does need that kind of father figure type manager. You know, someone who's going to put the arm around him and develop him as a player and as a person, really. And I think, you know, could Pep Guardiola do that? Absolutely, because, you know, he is a, he is a fantastic man manager, as we've seen. And I think that the time is probably right for Jack Grealish to, to move on from Villa. Um, I don't think he, he can do a lot of it on his own anymore. And um, he needs that big move. He's got ambitions to play for England. He's not getting a look in with the England setup at the minute. And I think that he could probably go in and, and, and make a name for himself. But I, I thought it would be the other side of Manchester, to be honest, that he ended up in. Um, but who knows? It might just be paper talk. But I'm a big fan of Jack Grealish. I think he, he's a really good player and he's achieved great things at Villa. And um, I do think that he needs to, to step up now and, and make that move uh, for, for for his development off the pitch and on the pitch, really. Um, so I think he'd be good at City. And I think, you know, he, he would improve that, that first 11.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that you're right there. I mean, it's quite an exciting prospect to see how Jack Grealish could develop under Pep Guardiola. What's your thoughts on, on that possibility, Mark? Jack Grealish is a great player. We know that. I think he's been fouled more times this season than any other player has been fouled in a season in Premier League history. So he's certainly got some sort of ability where he can kind of win free kicks in dangerous areas and kind of get the team high up the pitch. And we've seen his qualities this season for Aston Villa and what's been a pretty dismal season for them on the whole. He's been their shining light. He's been their talisman. And as good as he is now, how good could he possibly be un- under Pep Guardiola's tutelage?
0: I, I totally agree. You know, Grealish is a he's a kind of throwback player, isn't he? And I think people just love the kind of romantic kind of socks rolled down, uh, number ten, people. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's everybody. Everybody just looks. He's just he's just a perfect like kind of throwback to that golden age of football, isn't he?
1: With the socks, Mark, it reminds me of watching Steve Claridge, who used to you used to have shim pads that were made of cardboard. It was like C- Costa coffee cups that he'd put down his socks. I used to, <laughs> I used to enjoy yeah, that, watching. Yeah, it's, it. it's exactly like that, isn't it? It's
0: just there's something kind of retro feel about the way he approaches the game and stuff. So you know, it's a, it's quite a, an endearing quality to have. And, and Guardiola likes him as well. Like I think it was back in, footy played him in December, was it? I think he called him. He, was, he said he's one of the best players in the league in a press yeah. conference. So. You know, he's obviously a fan of him. Um, And even though he's not, he wouldn't be a direct replacement for Sane. Guardiola always also said that he wouldn't necessarily sign some a like-for-like replacement if Sane left. So, you know, it makes sense on those grounds. It also makes sense because he's a homegrown player and City so have a lot, had a lot of problems with that, um, mm-hmm. especially last summer because of the makeup of the squad. That was part of the reason why they couldn't necessarily sign a, a, a replacement for Vincent Kompany because they needed to move out one overseas player if you like before they could move another in so they do need to kind of balance their squad in that way a little bit in Greece would help that my only the, the only caveat that I'd put on it was is that I think City's priority has to be at centre half because that's where the problems have been this year mm. and you know we also don't know as we've already referenced in the show we don't know what's going to happen with the Court of Arbitration for sport if they're going to be banned from the Champions League you know when you factor in the pandemic and the and the financial effect uh, on clubs, all clubs, even clubs, you know, oil-rich clubs like City, when you factor that in as well and the effect that's going to have on the transfer market, I think they're going to have to be a bit canny and prioritise where they need to spend the money this year. Mm. And that might mean that they're targeting other areas of the squad like centre-half, maybe even fullback back again. They may, they're probably not going to blow 60 million on that, a load of fullbacks again this time, but, yeah. you know, fullback is still an issue for Guardiola. So that's somewhere we need to pay some attention. So, I think they might look to those areas rather than, you know, in a kind of creative attacking midfielder where, let's face it, they're already pretty well stopped.
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well,. We'll have to wait and see what happens there with Jack Grealish. I think he is on the move. I think we said on one of the podcasts last week that Tottenham could be a possibly good fit for him because Jedson Fernandes hasn't exactly been the star that that Spurs were hoping for. But then again, we don't know whether they've got any money in the bank. They've taken out a big loan at Tottenham, and Daniel Levy is uh, quite notorious for his penny pinching. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with Jack Grealish's future. Final bit of transfer gossip today comes from the Sun, uh, and it's to do with goalkeeper Andre Onana, the Ajax stopper, who's been told. He He can apparently leave the club, according to the newspaper, which means that he could also possibly make his way to the bridge. He's been linked with Chelsea before. They've got goalkeeping issues, Steve. Kepper, Arisa Balaga, of course, arrived a couple of seasons ago from Spain with a, a big reputation and a big price tag. He doesn't seem to have lived up to that. There was the debacle with Maurizio Sarri in the Carabao Cup final where he refused to come off as a substitute. He's had his question marks around him as well in terms of the mistakes that he's made in the past. Chelsea, we know, are building a strong side. I think Kepa maybe gets a little bit more stick in a personal opinion uh, than he probably does deserve. But certainly there's no question that Chelsea might have their eye on another goalkeeper and Andre Onana has proven that you can do it at the highest level in European football with Ajax as you know we've seen in the Champions League in recent seasons
2: yeah he is he's a very good goalkeeper he's pretty solid and um, and he commands his area as well which is something that you want from a from a goalkeeper for me I think you know obviously Kepper is a world record fee for, for a goalkeeper and um, I don't think he's good enough um, i don't think he's good enough to be a goalkeeper for chelsea i think he, he is too rash and i don't like some of the you know the behavior that he's displayed as well i think he makes his, his back four very nervous behind him you know with, with some of the stuff that he does and i think chelsea if they're rebuilding and they want to kind of be challenging again they're going to have to you know start right at the back of the pitch and they're going to have to get someone between the sticks again who who is going to you know do a job for them because i look at Kepper, and i think god there might be five or six keepers in the premier league that are actually better than him uh, for me and um, that's not befitting a Chelsea. And I think the problem that Chelsea are going to have, I think, after you know such a torrid couple of seasons, is, is what is Kepper's resale value? Uh, you know, they paid nearly 80 million quid for him. I think. I think the, the uh, I think Allison was the record, wasn't he? At 67 million. And I think they paid you know late 70s for him, haven't they? I, I can't remember the exact fee. Um, it's how much would, would a club pay for Kepper and in the current climate as well. Uh, you know, when people are watching the finances and people are having to adjust accordingly, so I think it, generally it's a problem on two fronts for for Chelsea. But, um, you know, I, I think they will probably bring someone in. He seems to have a lot of money to spend at the minute, and um, he could find himself back in Spain. I don't think you know, I'd be surprised if any other Premier League paid the money for him, but who knows? It's, um, it, it's not been a great period uh, for him at Chelsea, and I think that. You know, there's been factors that have contributed to that and I think Chelsea will be a better team without him in it.
1: I think the only benefit you could say with Chelsea's transfer policy, Mark, is the fact that they end up selling players on that have never made an appearance for the club for decent chunks of money, particularly in this current climate where we know the transfer value is probably going to decrease with all the implications of the coronavirus pandemic. So uh, I'm thinking of the likes of Pasalic, who was sold to Atalanta for 15 million quid, who'd never turned out once for the Chelsea first team. So they do kind of give themselves a bit of a safety net over there at Chelsea with their
0: dealings. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, that kind of model has really worked for them, especially the, the the loan model that they've had as well, sending so many young players out on loan, building relationships, you know, increasing their value, aiding the development and then selling them for a fee. that's um, usually quite inflated compared to what our perception of the player is, you're right. I guess the only problem there in Kepa's instance is that he has been playing. We have seen how poorly he's performed and that's only going to decrease his value on the market. So. Um, I think you know if Chelsea want a challenge, and we keep talking about them coming back and like, perhaps you know really testing Liverpool and Manchester City next year. If they want a challenge, they need a new goalkeeper because if Steve said there, like you can name six or seven better keepers. I think there's probably ten or twelve, or fifteen, better keepers in the Premier League than, than Kepper on, on on evidence of what he's done in the Premier League since he joined. And I think I remember speaking to some people. There was kind of an acceptance at Chelsea pretty much as soon as he came in, not particularly long after, that he fell well short of that like, 70-odd million pounds that they paid for him. Um, so, you know, Anana Anna would be an upgrade. And I guess we keep coming back to the same thing. The only question is, what can Chelsea afford if they're already spending money on, on Werner and Zayic? And, you know, we're talking about other players coming in. We're talking about Angel Gomez just there. Uh, I know he'd be a free transfer, but it's the wages, it's still money going out of the club. I think it's just unclear... It's unclear at the minute just how COVID-19 and the pandemic has affected Chelsea's ability to buy mm. and what the limit on their spending is going to be. If I was them, I'd be looking to to build at the back rather than at the front, I think, because I think that's where their issues have been this season. So I, I'm a little bit sceptical about the Werner and Z H thing. And the great players, whether they're going to improve the team is a different question. Mm. And I think that's where you'd want the spending to be. So you'd be looking at players like on Anna. But um, whether they can, if they look, if they can do both, if if Abramovich has enough oil millions to do both, then sure, um, you know, that'll work out for them. But I'm just a little bit skeptical about the transfer policy at the minute. And I think they do need to sign a keeper if they really want to challenge themselves.
1: I think you're right, Mark. I think at the back for me has been where the issues have lied for Chelsea this season as well. Tomori, as good as he's been, as you mentioned, since the turn of the year, he's kind of fallen out of favour, um, and he's still relatively inexperienced for a centre half. Christensen seems to have issues with injury. Again, the same with Rudiger and Kurt Zouma. For me, after having a decent season on loan at Everton before now, has has had a pretty. Well, I think he's been poor this year, Kurt Zouma. I think he's made too many errors. And anyway, I'm not a professional centre half, so I'm not going to go into it. And I'm not a Chelsea fan either. But certainly, I feel at the back is where they need to strengthen Uh, right that's it for today's football social daily Um, all the team news for tonight's match between Brighton and Manchester United you can find on our website sport-social.co.uk and if you've got a smart speaker at home an Amazon Alexa or a Google home device you can find all the team news straight to your smart speaker all you need to do is find the Sport social skill and the relevant skill store and uh, your favourite Premier League team all the latest news and team updates and match reports and match previews will all be on there so go and check that out but that's it for now thanks Mark thanks Steve Cheers. Cheers. Cheers now. My name's Niall McCorn, and we'll speak to you on tomorrow's show.
0: Football Social Daily. Get daily news and updates on your team via your Amazon Alexa. Just ask Alexa. Open Sports Social. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
1: Lucky?